good to see everyone this morning. We're going to look at Acts chapter 6 today. If you're following this series, then you know that uh, we will be in this passage today. We're going verse by verse through the book of Acts. I hope I'm coming through all right. My mic says it's on. <clears throat> to, put, to put into context the dumb joke I told, the Bible does say a house divided against itself cannot stand. So if you didn't know that verse, you, you couldn't understand the joke. I was listening to Harry Truman told a story about, you know how we get old and we have to get up at night to use the restroom. He said that he had a friend that, or he heard a story about a guy that passed out and they thought he was dead. So they brought him to the morgue and the morgue put him in a casket and he's laying there and he came back you know, back out of his coma or whatever and sat up and thought, what am I doing here? If I'm dead, why do I have to go to the bathroom? So <laughs> that's, uh, that's good old age, isn't it? Acts chapter 6, the choosing of servants. Luke, of course, writes, you know that, this transitional book, something I repeat often. So many things are going on here. The church is young. They need some help. They can't handle all the workload. And so they choose some servants. Now, the servants are not called deacons in the English translation, but the two Greek words are in the text that mean servant. And they're translated here, one ministering and one ministration. And so we know that the, the idea is here. Um, we know in verse 1 and verse 4, the word really includes compassionate love, and servitude, and we're all supposed to be servants, even if we don't have the title. But we know that there had a lot of problems in the early church, and they needed to take care of some of these things. And the, 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 the new pastors, the apostles, were really the first bishops of the churches. They started the churches, and they were the leaders, uh, needed help. And so let's read uh, verses um, 1 through 7. Stand with me, if you will. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not by reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business." But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're going to stop there. We'll study the seven verses. God bless us as we look in your book for a walk in this evil world. It's going to be harder and harder to live for you. It's even fearful for me to display an Israeli flag in certain places in our community. Or to say I'm a Christian in certain circles, Lord. And maybe persecution will be on the rise here in our lives as it is so much throughout the world today. Bless us as we stand to stand for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. In those days, it says here, what days? Well, remember, people were giving generously. I mean, they had given and they, they helped the church get off its feet. They had money to help people. And so uh, giving was great. The young church was impressionable. But here are the Grecians. These are Greek-speaking Jews. They're complaining against the other Jews, the Aramaic-speaking Jews, and saying our widows aren't being taken care of. The complaint was reasonable, but murmuring's never a good thing. 
It's best to always uh, confront the person who you have a murmur against and deal with it one-on-one. But they, they were upset and they were murmuring. Josephus talks about the Grecians and said they were really unpopular in the early church. They were unpopular people to begin with. They fought with the Pharisees and Sadducees. I would have as well. But they also fought, fought with the early church members, and so they were a little bit of a problem. But here they're upset because their widows, the Greek-speaking widows, weren't being taken care of. Now today we have all these social programs. Our widows have Social Security and Medicare, but it's still the church's responsibility to help them when they need help. And in the early days, the biblical widow, remember, was 60 years old, and she was qualified in many ways. And, uh, you know, list those qualifications. We're not going to go into that today, but that's 1 Timothy chapter 5. And the Bible tells us in James that taking care of widows and orphans is true religion. That's true religion. That's pure religion. You know, when we don't take care of the needy people, I, uh, I hear so many horror stories about uh, kids being adopted and being placed in homes that end up being abusive homes. I know there's been so much molestation in the adoption world, and sadly, I know people who have tried to adopt children and been re- rejected or refused because they're Christians. They're too naive, they say, and too narrow-minded. My father-in-law had a sense of humor, and he always used to talk about there being one way to heaven, so he'd answer his home phone by saying, narrow-minded Baptist church. (laughs) And people thought that was comical because there's only one way to heaven. But we're not narrow-minded. We just believe what God says to us, that there is one way. And we believe the best home is an established Christian home to see babies placed. But so many orphans and widows that aren't taken care of today, and we realize that's that's wrong, and the church has a responsibility. So in verse 2, the 12, and that's, by the way, a common title for the disciples. At times you'll see the 12, and they weren't all there. Just 10 were there, or 11 were there. They still were called the 12. They, 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 They met together, these pupils and followers. Remember the word disciples um, really means to learn, to follow, and to train a disciple included so many forms of, uh, of teaching. You, you learn by example. You actually would follow a teacher on a regular basis and you live your life following their footsteps. Well, the disciples, uh, they speak up and they say, we just shouldn't be waiting on tables. We have too much to do. We study and we preach. Now, I only speak three or four times a week. Uh, I think next week maybe I'll do five, but I don't speak a lot as much as they did, but I study a lot. But, you know, they were saying we can't minister in word if we don't have help. We're too busy studying and preaching. Now, I I would like to hear that from our pastors. Uh, I know so many pastors that think studying a couple hours a week is enough. That may be enough for a Sunday school lesson. But as a pastor, you need to study and know everything about your text. Uh, you, you should know how to answer every man. And we know there's so many scriptures. And in 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, we know that the pastors are to feed the sheep. We know the Bible says the study so that you're not ashamed. And, and so here they, they wanted to spend their time in the word. The apostles were the first pastors. We know that. 
uh, the word then would become episkopos, the scope. They would oversee the church. And deacons and pastors are mentioned together in Philippians chapter 1. They have different roles. The word deacon is really the word servant. It, it applied to the household servant and the person at church who served. They had the title of a servant and they served the people. And the apostles, of course, were the overseers of the church. But notice here in verse 3 something. He says, choose, you choose to the people. You choose among you. The best way to avoid a pastor becoming a dictator is for the people to choose the deacons. And so he said, you choose among you. We, we're, we don't have time to wait on the tables and, and do this kind of work because we're preaching. The Old Testament precedent is clear in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 13. It says they took uh, uh, from the, the wise men from the tribes and they uh, put them over the tribes to help govern. That was a different concept than the servant today, but the, the fact of the matter is they had to have help in leading way back with the children of Israel. The church has to have help in dealing with so many things. But there's no lording because the church people are choosing the deacons. Whenever I go to church, and I hadn't gone to many in, in, in recent years, but when I would visit a church and I learn a little about the church and then you find out the pastor's handpicked all of his buddies to be deacons, I'm like, wait a minute. That's not a good concept. There's no accountability in that. And uh, certainly they pick people who are qualified here, obviously, but we, we don't have a lording. He says, look out, scope out among you who we may appoint over this business. So the pastor then would tell the deacons, here's what we need to do. Take care of the widows, take care of the money, and so forth. And deacons are not overseers. We understand that they're servants. And, and sometimes in church, and I don't think we have a problem here, but I've been in many churches where people wanted to have their own way. Remember Diotrephes in John? He wanted his way, and he was a problem in the church. None of us can have our way in everything. I don't demand my way here. I don't say to Harold, here's what songs I want you to pick. Um, because if I had all the songs that I wanted, it means that 120 other people would not have all the songs they wanted. I always tell people about a music program, if you hear one or two songs you like, be thankful. Be thankful. Because no one can have their way. The music director is the only person really that gets to pick his songs. Pick the song so he gets to choose what he wants. But Harold will never pick five songs that will please every person here in, in, their in its entirety. Why? Why? Because we're all different. We're all different. We have different tastes and preferences, different upbringings. But in all areas of the church, we have to realize it's not about our way. It's God's way. Amen. And we have to just follow the Lord. And so it's difficult at times. But uh, these some deacons actually became elders. Charles Ryrie says this. There's five things you want in a deacon. Number one, men. This is masculine. It was clearly in the Greek. Number two, local believers. He says reputable, spiritual, and wise. And so you pick these godly men. What did they do? Well, they took care of the widows and they waited on tables. What is waiting on tables? Serving food? No, that's not really what that means. Several great books that have really explained it to me. One is a guy by the name of Freeman and Culture and Customs. 
Remember when Jesus went into the outer court and he turned over the tables. They were exchanging currency to traveling pilgrims and taking advantage of them. And they were selling uh, sacrificial animals for inflated prices. And what did Jesus say? My house is not going to be a den of thieves or a house of robbers. So he threw the tables over in anger. You know, anger is not necessarily sinful. Um, I was telling the class today, I remember when my son got in trouble in high school and I had to make that 300 300 yard walk, 300 miles, 300 yard walk from the seminary building to the high school office. And I was so angry. I knew which kid it would be. I kind of guessed it was my middle child. I knew it was something mischievous, nothing real, real bad, but it was just exactly as I thought. But when I got the call on my office phone, I put the phone down, I was not happy. Someone said one time, if you had to do it all over again, would you have five kids? And I, I said, uh, yeah, but not the same five. Uh, <clears throat> and you know I'm joking. I've got fantastic, I'm just so close to my sons. They're so great. I was with a couple of them yesterday. Just great kids. But I remember I was angry. But I had 300 yards to think about, all right, I've got to control this anger. I can't whip him right there, then and there, as soon as I walk in. i got to listen. i got to be patient. But Jesus was angry, yet without sin, he turned the tables over. Why? He didn't like them taking advantage of people. It was not, they weren't serving food. And so the idea of tables, most scholars say this has to do with handling the money. Thank God for people. I don't have to count the money here. I haven't helped count it yet. I haven't even taken a deposit to the bank yet. Uh, I don't sign checks. I'm thankful for the servants we have that do that. And they're needed. And, and when we do have benevolent situations, I'm thankful for the guys we have that step up and help. And some of our deacons have been so giving, and, and I'm so grateful for that. But uh, one person thought this passage in Jesus turning the tables over was because they were gambling. No, there's not, that's nothing about gambling. Scripture doesn't say a thing about gambling. Um, so here, here he's talking about handling the business of the church, and they needed help. So he says, choose out these men, and he gives their qualifications. Now, we could go over to the pastoral epistles, uh, but we're not going to do that. We're going to just stick with our text. Look what it says here. Look ye out among you seven men. Do we need seven? No. They had a lot of people there and a lot more work. I believe these deacons probably committed 40 hours plus a week to taking care of the people. It's probably the case. We don't know for sure, but we don't have to have seven. I mean, a church of 20 doesn't need seven deacons. A church of several thousand may need 20 deacons. But, but the fact of the matter is they chose seven. Someone said, well, it has to be seven. That's the number of completions. No, the text doesn't say that. Uh, seven would be nice, but it's not necessary. Seven men, and he says, of honest report. Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 says, of good report. Uh, a reputation is important. Character is vitally important. And a man with good character will oftentimes have a good reputation. But let me tell you something. I'd rather be a man of character. And if my reputation wasn't so good because I stood against something, I can live with that. But normally, good character gives you a good name. But there have been people that have stood right at times and had a bad name. I've experienced that, not myself, but I've been in groups where someone was upset at a man who stood for principle. I was tickled. I went on a, 
uh, Cedar Point was a place in, in Ohio that we would go to for a theme park, and we had a motorhome, and our youth all went in the motorhome to the theme park, and we stopped in the gas station, and Mr. Nystrom, a great godly man who's with the Lord now, put a dime, maybe a nickel, in the soda machine and didn't get his soda. And he went into the place and said, hey, I, I lost a dime, and the guy said, too bad. Mr. Nystrom said, I'm not leaving unless I get my dime. And he actually called the police. I'd have left the dime. Well, it would be a dollar and a half today, wouldn't it? I'd still left the dollar and a half. I'd have left the dime and gone on. But he said, no, it's a matter of principle. He wasn't popular amongst the teens that waited for 45 minutes for the police to come. We were missing the roller coasters. But he said, I'm going to stand on principle. Now, that's kind of a hyperbole, really, a story that I could have chosen a better story, but that just came to my mind right now. But how many times have you seen someone you knew stood for, for the right thing? Maybe he wasn't popular or didn't have a good reputation, but character is vitally important. Amen. Worry about your character first, and then usually you'll have a good reputation. But he says, choose these reputable men. These men who are going to be a good witness for the Lord is the word martyrs really includes the idea of even, even dying for the Lord because Stephen was a martyr, wasn't he? And he was the first martyr after Christ. John the Baptist died before that, but he says, choose men of honest report. Second of all, he says, men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. You know, there's six or seven Greek words translated full in your Bible. That's, that's a good 20-minute study right there. But this, this word is interesting. It's a word that means overflowing or abounding. Normally, I, f I find the word full means controlled, but here it means, here in this context, it's the word that means to abound or to overflow. There's no room for anything else. When a man is full of the Holy Spirit, he's so controlled, there's no room for the flesh. And th these, these were... These first seven were amazing. Now, several scholars say these weren't really deacons. These weren't the first church deacons. They were servants, and it's similar, but not quite the same. And, and I don't care where people stand on it. These were seven servants. We know that. Whether these were the original deacons, we know that these guys did some things that we don't find in, in Timothy that they were required to do. These men preached. Philip was an evangelist. We don't find that to be a requirement of the deacon. However, we would say they, they need to be men who love the word, you know, whether or not they preach or evangelize. So pick men who are abounding in the Holy Spirit and men who are abounding in wisdom. And this is a word, Sophia, our word sophistication comes from that. We don't really use that word today in the same way. When someone says, well, she's sophisticated, I think she's a snob, you know, and, and that's kind of how we think of the word sophistication today, but that's the word here, and back then they used it a little different because it, the, the Bible says the fear of God's a beginning of wisdom. These are people who God governed them. The Holy Spirit abounded in their life. Wisdom overflowed. They were abounding in wisdom, and those are men who can make good decisions. The precedent is set in Numbers 27, and I'm going to turn there. I don't put too much pressure on Zane, but we're going to start putting it back on the screen when, he, when he's got it. But Numbers 27, 18, 
And the Lord said, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. So here they laid hands. That's a precedent. Way back in the Old Testament, they prayed and laid hands on Joshua here on these seven servants. They prayed, they laid hands on them. But these were men who were abounding in wisdom, abounding in the Holy Spirit. That's a challenge to all of us to abound because we carry our old nature with us. Boy, that's tough to be in the Spirit all the time. In the Spirit all the time. I, uh, last night I was laying in bed and I had a little anxiety. I was worried about something and I said, oh, help me, Lord, help me. I lay down at night and this stuff comes into my mind and I'm laying there and I'm battling. This morning I got up and I was praying and I said, Lord, I laid in bed with a bad attitude last night. How can I get up and preach today? And I had this little discourse with God where I'm admitting all my faults <laughs> and he's cleansing me, thank God. But, you know, I, I can't effectively pray in the flesh. I really can't do anything good in the flesh except maybe play sports, and, and that's gone too, you know. Uh, but those days are over. But the flesh is always, the Bible says, contrary to the Spirit. And so these men had to be men who were controlled, I say controlled, but abounding in the Spirit. That doesn't mean they didn't have the flesh once in a while, but they were known for patient, godly men who waited on the Lord and loved the Lord and loved his word, we'll find out in a moment, whom we may appoint over this business. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. What does it mean to continue to pray, to pray without ceasing? Can I possibly uh, talk out loud to God 24-7? No, I sleep. There's times I have to talk to people. I can't pray in the same way where I'm talking all day. But let me tell you how you pray without ceasing. Scripturally, I believe it's clear. Confess your sin all the time so the Holy Spirit can speak to you. And then when you're driving to work, you can pray. You can pray. When you're walking up the sidewalk to go in the house, you can pray. When you have to deal with difficulty, you can pray. Why? You're conf you've confessed your sin, and God can speak to you all day long. See, prayer is not just you talking to God 24-7. We need to listen to God. A godly man taught me years ago, when you get done praying, just stay on your knees for a few minutes and let the Holy Spirit just give you some ideas. Every good gift comes from the Father above. The good ideas you have when he says, do you help that person? Well, that's not the devil telling you to help someone. That's the Lord. And so we need to listen to that still, small voice. But to be in prayer means to listen to God and be, have your sin confessed and be able to talk to God. And he says, we want to spend time in the word so they can feed the sheep, First Peter, and not be ashamed. Look what happened. Verse 5. And the same pleased the whole multitude. You know what happened to the church? They were pleased with that idea. We can choose some servants, some godly men to take care of these problems. It pleased the multitude. It pleased the multitude. And so what did they do? They chose Stephen. Now, we know all about Stephen. We're going to read about him in the next few weeks. He was stoned to death while preaching. In fact, the word crown comes from the Stephanos from Stephen. 
He was a martyr. He died for Christ. And Stephanos became a crown. And it was a crown even before that. It was a crown that they would give out at the Greek games. And the Bible says we can have a Stephanos if we live for God, right? A lot of them listed in the Bible. And I've said this, and, and I don't know where I heard this. Maybe I heard it. Maybe I learned it in my studies. But you'll never receive a diadem if you haven't first received a Stephanos. A diadem, that crown of glory. It's mentioned twice in the Bible. You won't have that kind of a crown if you haven't suffered in this life. We're called to suffering. Our suffering's different. Every one of us has a different suffering. Sure. I don't know yours. Some of you I know. You don't know mine, but we, we know some of the things that are going on in our lives. But all of us are going to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some suffer more than others, but the Bible definitely says they will be rewarded greatly. So here's Stephen. Stephanos, a man, again, he's abounding in faith. I love that. I love to have some people around me who have the spiritual gift of faith because they're the ones that are always optimistic. Oh, pastor, that's not a problem. Someone said to me, I year or so ago, I, I don't like being in debt. I've always tried to pastor and build things and not get in too much debt, you know. Some said, oh, that's nothing. If our people rise up and just pay that off one Sunday, and I thought, are you out of your mind? One Sunday, we owe almost 500,000. Listen, there have been pastors with the gift of faith that have exercised their faith and seen some great things. I can be on a Winnie the Pooh show Eeyore, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, faith is not my gift. I have faith in the Lord. My faith grows. I love the word and I have some faith. But boy, when you're around people with faith, they're, they're big thinkers because they believe God not only can, but will. I have no trouble believing God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ask or even imagine, think. I have trouble believing he will. Amen. I know he's able. And so here is Stephen, what a man of faith. Even when he's dying, he doesn't, he doesn't compromise a bit, does he? He's killed while preaching, and he's just gracious. I love that. Not a man of fear, not a man of doubt, but a man of faith and a martyr for Jesus Christ. So they chose him. And then he chose Philip, the evangelist. History tells us Philip, like Peter, was crucified upside down. So look at the guys they've chosen. They chose some great guys, Philip, the evangelist. Uh, Stephen died while preaching. Philip, as, as, as you know, suffered as well. And it lists a bunch of them. And truthfully, these names are not mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. Some believe Nicolantes in Revelation is the same as Nicholas here. If that's the case, he's no Saint Nick. Because Nicolaitis in Revelation had bad deeds and bad doctrine. And as you've heard me say before, if you have bad doctrine, you're going to have bad deeds. Every cult you watch on TV, uh, you watch these cults, they always have bad, bad deeds because they have bad doctrine. I always find it interesting whenever a man starts a cult, it always ends up having a harem. Always has a bunch of women he's sleeping with. You, know, you, you can't get around that, almost every one of them. Uh, had one couple of years ago, Jeps or something. And we all remember, I, you know, I'm going back before a lot of you were born to Jim Jones and, and then David Koresh in the 70s. And then there's a Jeps guy. And, 
and a lot of these spin-off churches that already have bad doctrine, like the Mormon church. There's been a couple spin-off from the Mormon church and have multiple wives. Listen, the Bible's clear. One man for one woman. Amen. Who was it that said God didn't make Adam and, Adam and Steve, he made Adam and Eve, you know? I'm not going to go down that road today. But it's clear what Scripture says. And so here we have these men chosen. Nicolaitis, I don't believe it's the same necessarily. Some believe it could be. But I want to stop and say something here about every wind of doctrine. Be a strong enough Christian so that you're not deceived by all the stuff out there today. The Internet has so much bad doctrine on it. Even your pastors searched for an article on something, and I found something I began to read, and I get down a paragraph in, I think, wait a minute, this has got to be a cult. And then I Google and I find out that it is cultic. And I would be willing to say 90%, maybe more, of the so-called Christian things on the internet are cultic and false doctrine. Be careful. You need to know the website, you need to know who the writers and authors are before you can trust it. And there's a few good ones that you can get stuff. But I still go back and trust the, the, the three, the, the hundreds of counselors I have on my bookshelves that I know and know where they're published and their, their writings, and I trust them because some of the stuff on the Internet. And listen, when your kids get stuff on the Internet, so much of it's garbage. I don't know about the cell phones for elementary and grade school kids. I'm sorry, but the Internet's a dangerous thing today. So be careful. But we know that there's so much out there that's false. And don't be carried away with every wind of doctrine. Years ago, I had a friend who, every time something new came out, he would jump on the bandwagon of a new doctrine. He was changing ideas all the time. And I said to him, Rick, you know, you, you got to stop this every time you come up with some new thing. And what you're in now is opposite of what you were in two years ago. Oh, but I really believe it. He didn't last in it. He changes again. Be committed to the truth of God's Word. Stand upon God's Word and don't deviate every time something changes. There's always going to be new church ideas, new things, new things. And you'll hear them. We have churches all around this area, and I'm not saying we're the only good church. I don't mean that at all. Of course not. There's some really good churches, good pastors, faithful people. We know that. But we also know there's new ideas popping up all over. Popping up all over. And, and churches are changing doctrines to accommodate people. I've loved Charles Stanley. I don't do this much. Maybe I'll get a phone call because we put ours on YouTube. But Andy Stanley really bothers me. <laughs> My son actually went to an Andy Stanley church about 10 years ago for a while. They piped it in on the big screen. And he says, too many things that violate Scripture. And his dad and him actually broke fellowship for a while. And that really bothers me that he stands on some of the things he stands upon being a child of Andy Stanley. I'm Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley was solid. Great, we know that. Listen, God's word still says sin is sin. God's word doesn't mince words. Even the wonderful New Testament just plain out says these are sins. These are the works of the flesh. And this is the work of the Spirit. And we need to be trustworthy and believe God's Word and obey God's Word. Verse 6, we're almost finished. It says here, when they sat before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. You know, they accepted them. They ordained them. You know why? Because there were people who were qualified. 
qualified. If we have someone nominated to be a deacon and they're not qualified, we won't go any further. But our men would want to know about this person's testimony. Are they of the Holy Spirit, abounding in the Holy Spirit, abounding in wisdom? Do they have a good testimony? There's clear qualifications listed. You know that. But they accepted these men because the people chose them, but more important, because they met the qualifications. Men who were of honest report, they listed what they wanted, they got what they asked for. These men were qualified. Listen, you aren't part of the family of God unless you're qualified. You say, how am I qualified? Repentance and faith. If you're here today and you say, well, I've been baptized, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You're not qualified if you hadn't been saved. We use that word save lightly, but you have to recognize you're a sinner. Last week, remember, we said that even repentance is a gift from God. He exposes our sin, the Holy Spirit points it out, and we realize we're lost and need to be saved. And if you're not saved, you're not qualified for heaven. We can talk about going to heaven and being up there in heaven, and all we want to talk about, we can sing about it, all that's good, but the problem is if you don't know Jesus personally, you're not qualified. And no one could be utilized in the ministry without being qualified. You say the word Christian. They were called Christians first at Antioch. What does that mean, Pastor? Some, everybody says they're a Christian today. Christian means Christ-like. Christ-like. So many people, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, really? Do you, do you, do you read your Bible? Oh, I don't have a Bible. I lost mine when I was a kid. Christ-like. What do we know about Jesus? Jesus loved the Word, didn't he? Amen. Constantly quoting the Old Testament. Of course, being God, he knew it all. <laughs> He's the living Word, isn't he? He's the Logos of our lives. So he knew the Word. But, but without knowing he, the Word, you can't know him. And without recognizing your sinfulness, you can't be born again. Look at the result. I love this. And the Word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Can you imagine this? Talk about a shakeup at the temple. I mean, this is amazing. Priests were saved, a great number of them. I mean, Jewish society was being saved in great numbers. Sadly, today we don't see that. None of the churches in the Bible exist today. Sadly, we see Jews far from Christ. My heart breaks. I found myself twice last week crying over Israel. And thank God, why don't they just get saved? Why don't they just get saved? They're blinded. Their own stubbornness has blinded them from the truth of Jesus Christ. And they're not going to get saved until the tribulation period as a whole. I mean, there's a few Jews saved. We understand that. We support now a, a pastor in Israel. But the whole nation is going to, a remnant's going to be saved. Read Romans 9 through 11. The Jews will be saved. But my heart breaks as they suffer. The whole world hates them. You hear people in our campuses, oh, I wouldn't give you two cents for a Harvard education or any of those other schools. Why? Because they, they hate Jews. When you go in the crowd, and I heard them interviewing people, and they, they would say, Hamas didn't do anything wrong. We need to, need to annihilate all Jews, they shouldn't have a place. They should be exterminated. Why, does it, why is it that way? Because Satan is the God of this world. And he hates Jesus. He certainly hates the covenant people. But here's the thing. The word of God increased. 
They were, the disciples were multiplied and priests came to know the Lord. Anyone can be saved. Anyone. If they repent, they're brought to the place of recognizing their sin and trust Jesus Christ, they can be saved. Whosoever will may come. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you can come and you can be saved if you recognize your sinfulness and trust Jesus as Savior. Let's bow for prayer. God, we pray for those here today who may be lost. If, if they're lost today, I pray they get saved. If there's anyone here who needs to be baptized or needs to come forward for any other reason, I just pray they'll, they'll move and, and just trust you and that we'll pray with them. I don't know hearts, you do. I just pray and thank you for the privilege we have to meet here without threat, without intimidation. We live in a, a world governed by hate. Yeah. And Lord, you're a love. God is love. You loved us so much you sent Jesus to die for our sins. Thank you for that. Bless now in Jesus' name.